Hello, welcome to the newest episode of Tuesday Conversation with Friends, where you get to hear some amazing music and my chats with those incredible artists. Don't forget to subscribe to this channel, to like this particular episode, and to get notification for future releases. The video format is on YouTube. If you'd prefer the audio-only format, you can find us on major podcast platforms. You will also be able to find social media links for myself as well as the guests on the show. So now, see you inside the episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Tuesday Conversation with Friends. Today, I have my good friend Will Laduke with me. Will, would you please tell people a little bit about who you are and of what you do? Uh, yes, hi. I'm Will LaDuke, and I'm、uh, currently with、uh, River West Radio here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin.、Um, I, I host a、uh, thrice weekly public affairs chat show called Active Culture. So, so you host the、uh, Active Culture, which is a wonderful show. That which thank you for having me to be on the show as a guest. And、uh, now, Will, the reason why we don't see your face is because we want to maintain the mystery of the radio personality where we hear your voice. So I really appreciate that. I think it's fun, right? <laughs> well, And you know, there's all. There's a danger of me breaking your camera too. So yeah, oh well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 it was so much fun being on your show, and I just think it's great to also find out who you are and how you end up being a radio show host because that's I, that's such a cool job, an interesting career, and not everybody gets to do that. So tell us a little bit about、um, how you arrived at this and what other things you do in your life. Well,、um, it started back in、uh, 1989. I was、um, laid off from my job at、um, what was then American Motors and had recently become Chrysler.、Uh -huh. And、um, they laid me off, and it was looking to be permanent. And they offered me school, and they offered it before. And I told them, "Well, you know, I, I still don't want to be an arc welder. Thank you very much." And he said, "Oh no, <laughs> we have some other programs here, and one of them was broadcasting." And I thought, "Yeah." Sounds great, and I, I took the course and、uh, took my degree. I、uh, got my、um, my FCC license, and then I had to start the、uh, the real task of finding a job.、Um, a lot of people will tell you that you know colleges for you know getting good grades and setting a good attendance record and all that. For me, it was making friends and making connections.、Um, college for me was a chance to you know kind of network with people that were in broadcasting. I'd gotten my first job. With、um, our local radio station down in Kenosha, WLIP, through a friend of mine. Now,、wow. before that, I had worked、um, for an NPR affiliate down in、wow. Kenosha too, WGTD,、um, and it was a great job.、Um, I was hired by、um, uh, the, the man I would call my mentor in this business. His name was Bill Guy, and、um, he basically taught me the ropes because I started off as a news reporter. Oh, okay. And、um, they, would, they would send me off to like. County board and and you know the school district meetings and that sort of thing, and I'd have to sit there for five or six hours and listen to these politicians blather on. Then I'd have to go back to the studio, replay what I recorded, and try to make sense out of any of it. You know? <laughs> it was it was a real job because you know they do like to talk and they often don't ground what they say in reality. So yeah, I would have to go through hours of them talking and just try to figure out okay. We're having a little bit of faulty connection. What exactly did they accomplish tonight? Changed my mind. 
I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. We had a little bit of faulty connection. Would you repeat what you said? Oh, sure. Um, yeah, basically, um, I used to cover, you know, the, the, the grunt assignments, you know, county board, um, school board, mm -hmm. that sort of thing, uh, the common council. And I'd have to literally, you know, spend hours trying to decipher what the politicians had been saying all night and then write a news report. Oh, my and, goodness. Uh, you know, I liked being a news reporter. I'm sorry? I say, oh, my goodness. Right. You have to really have to translate what they're really trying to tell you. Yeah. And um, what I just I got in the habit of doing was just turning on the recorder and let it play. And then I would just kind of keep notes of who said what, where and when. And then I would go back later and try to piece together a story. Um, the thing about radio was that you pretty much have to tell your story in that first paragraph. You have to you have to hit the five W's. Who, what, where, when, why. Right. And then you can do the padding. In TV, which I also worked in, it's completely different. You get the pictures first, and then you build your story around it. Mm. And um, I found TV kind of artificial and superficial okay. as well. I, um, when I was in radio, we would get, you know, me and, you know, the print journalists would arrive at something, whether it was like, you know, a speech or or a meeting or something, we'd get there early, we would set up, we'd do our homework. Mm -hmm. And about five minutes before the thing would start, boom, in would come the TV people. And Whoa. they would try to elbow their way past you so they could get closer because we need our shots. And you'd say, well, then get here early and set up this whole <laughs> business of we're TV, we're more important. That used to drive me crazy, you know, because, you know, we're here to, we're all here to do a job. Right. But somehow they seem to think because they're television, you know, they should be, you know, afforded better access. And I, you know, it's it's a short story, and I'll, I'll try to get to it real quick. One of the stories I was sent to cover back in my WLIP days was they had just arranged for the release of um, a prisoner who was somewhat infamous here in Wisconsin. Lorencia Bendenic was mm. her name, and she was known as Bambi Bendenic. Uh, she was a Milwaukee cop. And, you know, she was a good looking woman. And of course they kind of exploited that. And she ended up like posing for, I don't think it was Playboy, but it was one of the magazines or something. So she got this whole reputation of being Bambi, you know, oh, the cop who poses nude. And then she got involved with one of her, I think it was her partner, you know, her, her you know, police partner. And the police partner's wife dies under mysterious circumstances. Oh. And of course they thought it was her. And of course, she ends up being convicted and she goes to jail. And while she's there, she goes back to college. She escapes at one point to Canada, but then it's brought back and you know, she serves out her sentence. And you know, I think nearly 10 years went by and they released her. And the day they released her from prison, it was a media circus. They chased her. She was let out of jail in Milwaukee and they chased her all the way down to Chicago. I mean, it was like OJ, you know, in the Bronco ride. And, um, Two days later, she was supposed to come back up to Kenosha, the, uh, the university, to accept her degree. She had taken a degree while she was in jail. And my boss offered me the assignment, and I said to him, geez, can't we leave her alone? Hasn't she been through enough already? And he was like, well, you know, just you know, get a couple sound bites. Do what you can. So I thought, oh, okay. So I called up the university where I had a couple of connections, and I said, hey, you've got this thing going on. What are the chances of getting a few minutes with Lorencia? I'd just like to ask her a couple of questions and tell her in advance, I don't care anything about the, the trial or any of that. I just want to talk to her about her school. 
know, what, mm. what did she do? What classes did she take? I don't want to, I don't want the sensational aspect at all. Cause that's kind of what she was worried about is that all right. people wanted to talk about was the bandy angle. Right. And so I get there and I get there early and uh, it was a two part affair. It was, you know, originally we, we, we attended the graduation ceremony and recorded the response of the audience. And then my contact told me, well, I'll tell you what, once that's over, come on downstairs to the green room and we'll set you up with a, you know, with your own interview. And I thought, oh, that's great. Sure. And I thought about it for a second and I looked through the uh, print journalist that I was friends with um, from Christine and Kenosha. And I said, hey guys, I kind of arranged something here. Did you want to tag along on this? And they're like, oh, you don't mind? I was like, no, and the more the merrier. You know, we're not competing here, you know, so sure. And uh, they came down with me. But the one thing we didn't do was tell the TV people. Because once uh, again, while we were at the reception waiting for things to start, they came barging in. Of know, course. <laughs> and pushing and elbowing, like, we've got to get our shots. And we just looked at them like, okay, fine. Have your little fun. And when the thing was over, we all packed up, uh, me and the two um, print journalists, and we went down for this meeting. And we got there, and she was terrified. So she oh. thought, you know, she said the thing she was most afraid of was that she would walk out on that stage to accept her, her diploma, and people would boo her you know, or, or cat call or something. That's she right. was terrified of that. And of course it didn't happen that way. People cheered. They thought she was great. You know, mm. so when we get down to this meeting, she's happy. And sure enough, I start asking her a few questions. The print journalist jump in and stuff. We're having a rare old chat and she's loosening up and she's having a good time. And sure enough, about 10 minutes in the doors burst open and who finally finds out about this, but the TV people. And again, just like before, they try to push their way in to, you know, to get the story. And I wasn't having it. I, I shoved both my elbows out and pushed them back, you know. And there's a picture that was taken for the uh, paper. And it says, Ben Benick attends graduation. And there she is. And there's all these microphones and TV cameras. And then there's one long arm with a microphone right in front of her face. And if you follow the arm, there's me. <laughs> I was not going to let them get away with it again. I told them, you just stay out of my way. And I pushed them with my elbows and kept them from getting any closer. And I finished my interview. And wow. once again, years later, when I was working in television, I would tell people this story. I'd say to them, you know, you need to adopt a better profile here. You need to be a little more humble. <laughs> you need to do your homework. And they just, it never took, I mean, it's probably not the same with all stations, but they have this sort of superficial attitude that as long as we get the pictures, we've got the story. And it's like, you might want to do a little homework too and read and, and actually talk to somebody, but okay, whatever. But um, so yeah, I worked both in uh, radio and television. And uh, as I joke around, I tell people I worked my way steadily down the pay scale. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Towards the end, I spent my last year in broadcasting working for our local television station and I was just pushing buttons at that point. I had stopped being a news reporter for a very good reason. And I had um, I had given up any hopes of getting in front of the camera. So I was just, I was one of the backroom boys, you know, that you never hear of that, you know, basically do all the grunt work, you know, make sure that the sound and everything, blah, 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 blah. So I did that for, you know, a number of years. And then suddenly I got the call back out of the blue from Chrysler. And at the time, I was a single parent with two teenagers. And, you know, part of me thought, well, this would be selling out. But then I thought, where am I going in broadcasting? <laughs> you, know, I, you know, it's been like eight years. I'm working my way wow. down. Eight years. Well. And I went back. Yeah. And I went back to Chrysler. And uh, 
I thought, yeah, they're going to work me for six months. They're going to lay me off for a year, like they did in the 80s. But no, right. I ended up working 11 straight. 11 straight years. Wow. Years and, and managed to affect things. But sure enough, they offered me, and I went. It's That's but, an incredible um, story. I was mention, too, that. Hello? Have I lost you? Well, yeah. I mean, and here's the reason um, that I kind of gave up on being a news reporter and kind of went more towards interviews. Um, back in 1992, there was, and this was kind of the well, the whole thing. I don't know if you remember this at all back in the 90s. They had a, a term called going postal. I'm going to go postal. Do you remember that? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Are you, uh, yeah, um, yeah, it referred yeah. to, you know, post office workers going crazy and shooting up the, the workforce. Well, we had our own version of that in Kenosha. Some knucklehead drove up to a McDonald's and, and he, he loads himself up, right? And he's mm -hmm. got an AK-47, he's got pistols, and he's got, you know, he looks like, you know, like Frito Bandito. I mean, he just, he, you know, he looks like a kid with a gun. And he goes into the McDonald's and he picks up his AK-47. He starts to point it at people. And here's the thing. When he left his car, he didn't think he was coming back. So he locked the door behind him. So he goes in and he's ready to open fire with his AK-47. Only he forgot the banana clip. So he can't use his, his big gun anymore. Well, luckily he lives in America. He's got access to all kinds of guns. So he brings out the pistols. And I'd have to look it up. But there was a number of dead, a number of wounded. And it was just horrifying. And then, of course, he kills himself, and he leaves this taped manifesto. And while this is going on, we're all being, you know, put into action. You know, hey, you know, we've got this hot story. We have all hands on deck. And um, I got a look at this videotape, and it was just horrible. It was just this guy, clearly nuts. And my other colleagues were laughing. They're like, oh, this is going to be great. Oh, this, yeah, we can use that sound bite. And I'm just going, this is pathetic. This is horrible. And I would see my colleagues around themselves kind of licking their chops and rubbing their hands and thinking, oh, this is going to be great. This is going to be great for my career. And I think, well, it seems pretty awful for the victims, guys. And my attitude right there and then was, you know what? Give me county board. Give me county council. Give me all the grunt assignments. You guys go off and have fun with this because I want nothing to do with it. And from that day on, I just got sick of the whole business, of the whole, it bleeds, it leads ambush your, your subjects, you know, get them to say what you need them to say, no matter what it takes. I hated all of that. The yeah. shooting really put it into full. Right. You know, it's interesting. Yeah. That's it. I'd rather, I'd rather talk to people about what inspires them than try to exploit them. Yeah. I didn't want to exploit them for their tragedy anymore. So yeah. And I nailed my first interview, like within a week with Dr. Henry Heimlich. I don't know if you remember him at all. Mm -hmm. The fellow that came up with the choking procedure. Right, right, you know. right. And uh, he, he was great. I'd, I'd gotten there early for the interview. And uh, while he was waiting, I said, you know, um, I can wait until everybody else gets here. And he goes, oh, no, you know, ask me some questions. And we got on like a house on fire for about 20 minutes. And then, again, as always, the TV media shows up. And they start to push their way in. I'll always be grateful to this man for this. He turned to them and said, you step back. I am talking to this young man right here, right now. And when I'm finished with him, you can talk to me. 
I was like, oh my God, I loved him like a brother. <laughs> oh, well, there you go, right? Wow. I finally, got some, finally got some revenge on the TV people. So, But uh, I just decided right then and there, this is it for me. I'd rather talk to people about good things than try to exploit the bad things that happen. So, yeah, that's been me ever since. Wow, that is quite a story. And uh, there's just so much to just what, what you just shared. It's incredible. And I think the thing that's really interesting is everything you've said, everything is still relevant today. Everything oh, is still relevant, you know, all the way from uh, when they offer you the opportunity to receive additional education, to retrain for a different profession. And uh, it sounds like you have worked and had, had some experiencing the real world before you went back to school so you understood when you went back to school it wasn't just to get a grade it wasn't just to get a diploma it was going to be an opportunity for you to uh, create something so you took that opportunity you didn't just learn you actually networked because a lot of people you meet uh, in the school training programs were already in the industry right mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, um, yeah. And again, like I say, I made friends, the friends I'm in college for the connections then to other jobs in broadcasting. So, yeah. It's, you had you a know, whole career for that. You know, especially in a field like broadcasting. Yes. Well, yeah. <laughs> yes. I'm losing your audio. Well, career implies that I actually made a living at it. <laughs> right, you know, right. Which wasn't really the case. And again, like I say, I, you know, I was raising, you know, I was parenting two teenagers, and at one point I had three well, I, part-time jobs in broadcasting. I would go uh, from overnight at the TV station pushing buttons, and then early morning at the radio station for like four or five hours, and then on certain days I would get called in to... It's so funny because right now we have some issues. For United Press International. Yeah. So there was a lot of running around and, you know, Yeah. I've yeah. some interesting times and some interesting yes. stories, but I just, you know. We're having some issues. It's a steady income, you know. Right. I was having to say no to a lot of things like Wow. You know, oh, yeah. We're having some issues but, um, with a connection. So some of the, sometimes when you speak, uh, we will have a, a little bit of delay and a little bit of empty space. But I got to tell you, the story is so fascinating. Even with that, I'm hanging on the edge of my seat just wondering <laughs> what, you, what you're saying. What is he saying? I want to know what he actually said. And fortunately, the words, they all came through, but they, it's a little bit like a Swiss cheese where we have a little bit of holes of empty space and then the words come back. But I'm like, I want to know what he said. Yeah, this sounds amazing. This sounds incredible. This okay. is so much fun, and uh, and it's so interesting because uh, because it sounds like actually it was a blessing in disguise because you found something you were actually passionate about. And uh, working for Chrysler was a great career, great job, and you went back and worked oh, with them for another eleven years. I have no idea what you did for them, but uh, but you're speaking of this other part of your life with such great passion. So it sounds like you actually found your passion and you're still doing it today in a different version of it. Mm -hmm. So talk to me a little bit about that. What ended up happening was, well, what happened was, I I took my retirement in 2009. And I was uh, 40, well, I was 49 at the time. And I was able to retire. But because of the jobs that I had worked over the years with, problems with my back and, and, and other, you know, things. So I, I tell people, yeah, I, I retired at 49, but with the back of a 90 year old. Oh. So 
it's been kind of interesting. But um, what was great about it, though, was is I retired and I thought, well, I'm going to get to do what I've always wanted to do. I'm going to try to go for teaching. And um, my son had uh, taken his degree and had become a teacher on his own. And again, this wasn't me trying to live vicariously through him. I did not try to influence him any way in particular. In fact, when he came to me at uh, 18 and you know we were talking about college, he said, well, I want to teach. And I just, you know, oh, my God. <laughs> I, was, oh. I, was, I was sending vest buttons all over the place. I was bursting with pride, right? Oh. And, uh, you know, he's, he's since taken two degrees. He's, he's, he's working on his master's right now. And he's, wow. he's a natural. He's great at it. Unfortunately for me, it wasn't quite the case. I, <laughs> I, I, I was working at a, uh, not quite a daycare center, but it was an educational type deal. And um, I did that for like the first six months after leaving Chrysler. I probably should have taken time off and taken a year off, but I soon realized. And my son pointed it out to me and said, gee, good. I go, I don't think you've got the patience for this. And I looked at him and went, hey, I did 20 years with you without killing you. So <laughs> I think I've got some patience here. But in the end, he was right. I probably, you know, I wasn't quite cut out for it, at least that situation. And so I thought, well, okay, you're retired. Be a retired person. Don't feel you have to jump into something. And I didn't. And it was a couple of years later, and I was in the neighborhood, my neighborhood. And I, was, I think I was waiting on a bus, and a friend came on. And she said, hey, well, I was like, oh, hey, Sarah, how are you doing? How's, you know, how's the radio gig? Because she was you know, working for River West Radio. And she said, can you do me a favor? And I was like, yeah, sure, what do you need? She goes like, my guest just dropped out on me. And I said, yeah. And my show's in like an hour. I was like, oh, yeah, that's a problem. She goes, would you come on and be my guest? I was like, okay, what do you want me to talk about? Well, my show's about Ireland, and I know you're big into Irish things. I was like, okay, sure. So I spent that hour kind of boning up. I went to YouTube. And I went to, uh, you know, to Google and I, you know, looked up a few things and she was doing a show about uh, James Joyce. Ah, so I came yes. on and we, we talked about Joyce and mm. the thing I brought to the conversation was about how Joyce, you know, he has two children, a son and a daughter. Yes. yes. And the daughter takes more after the mother. She's slightly unhinged and yes. uh, very passionate about what she does, but she also has, you know, she ends up in a, in a couple of institutions and, and stuff yes, like in, later in life. Was sad. Uh, Joyce decided he was going to help out his daughter. And what he did is he took his writings. He was going to republish one of his uh, collections of stories. And he commissioned her to do the illustrations, mm -hmm. thinking, I'll give her something to do. I'll give her some direction. And, of course, you know, they published it. And, you know, it did fairly decent business. But it didn't provide this catharsis for the daughter that he had hoped. And, right. again, you know. So it's this very touching story about how late in life Joyce was trying to reconnect with his daughter and right. wasn't able to do so. And, you know, that's what I brought to the party. And, you know, it went great. That's wonderful. Okay, yeah, because thought, Joyce, it was a very interesting writer. And I think her daughter, his daughter was a, was also attempting to be a dancer in her younger life, right. wasn't she? Yeah. And uh, I remember uh, researching on this because when I was in college, I sang, a art, I worked on an art song by Samuel Barber. And the text was to James Joyce's Nuvoletta, which was a poetry about his daughter. And you can tell, even he could see who his daughter was very clearly. And even though it was poetic, it, it was a young lady who was very unhinged, and but very creative and very... Um, 
she was a very interesting person. So I ended up reading up on, on, he, uh, on not just his life and his work, but also her life and what happened. And that's a very fascinating story and very touching towards later part as well. It was very heartbreaking. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And apparently his wife, Nora, the mother, mm-hmm. was no help at all. No. No, no, it was difficult, and uh, you know, if anything, she was pushing to have her institutionalized, and yeah, yeah. And I don't know if in today's world she would have been institutionalized. Um, no, no, I don't think she would have been. And I think she she strikes me as someone who has a lot of similarities to potentially with things like bipolar disorder or something like uh, maybe borderline personality disorder that along that line where she will have um, she will have highs and she will have lows and when she was high she was extremely creative and she was also kind of disconnected I think to the outside world and to the critics it was very mm-hmm. interesting to read about her I remember even seeing photographs of her um, from her dance performances that was really fascinating sure and here's the sad coda once Joyce himself dies mm-hmm. The mother, Nora, never goes to see her again. Right. I remember reading about that. And, you know, I had come up, you know, hearing the stories about Nora Barnacle. Uh, In fact, when I was in Ireland and I was doing the Dublin tour, you know, it was one of those double-decker bus tour things where you step off and you see the different sites. Sure enough, this guy took us to the site that was just like, you know, okay, what's this about? There's really no landmarks. He goes, well, it's been repaid and rebuilt since then. But back in, I think it was, what, 1903 or 1904, this was the very... I wanted that. Where Nora Barnacle James Joyce of his manhood. And you go, what? <laughs> you know, wow. Like, nice standing. <laughs> you know? Oh, my and, goodness. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. And, you know, we've all heard the story that, yeah, that's how they met. They went out together. And on that first date, she, let's just say, helped him along. Wow. And, uh, yeah, that's part of the tourism of Dublin. It's like, oh, this is where Joyce lost his virginity. How nice. <laughs> you know? Well, that's quite a story. And you yeah. see, <laughs> you are the perfect person for the show you're hosting right now. Because you're so eclectic and you know so much about so many things. And you have this incredible curiosity where you, you want to know not just about the people you're speaking with, but what they do and why they do what they do. And then you go further. You go looking into the art forms they represent. And I, it's this is fascinating. That was the part that really touched me and impressed me as well. Because um, being an opera singer, a lot of times what I do is not uh, outside of my field. There is not a wide there's not a big audience and uh, but it's one of the most human art form there is you know after all the instrument is our voices and so I was really impressed uh, that you knew exactly what my repertoire was and that was really impressive well yeah here's the thing when I started off I wasn't that conversant in opera or ballet these were like the two forms of art that I never really connected with and Mm. for like the first year I didn't go anywhere near it but then I realized, well, you know, I need to broaden my base here. And, you know, it's about culture and this is a part of culture. So I'd gotten my first guest was an opera singer and she was great and she was very earthy. And she said, you know, people have this sort of stuffed shirt image of opera mm-hmm. that you have to dress in a tuxedo and blah, blah, blah. But she says, if you go and you see opera and you comprehend it, you realize 
these are some pretty gritty, dirty, right off the street kind of stories. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's not all, you know, singing to the heavens. There's a lot of, you know, there's lust, there's betrayal, there's, you know, all the human elements. And, you know, when she was telling me about that, I thought, you know what, you're right. I've just been letting this, you know, let's just call it like, like the PBS filter. The uh, yes. theater filter that oh it's it's too eclectic for me I I wouldn't understand it and no you know you, no, have, to, you have to make the effort it was like with Shakespeare when I was a kid you have to make the effort you know right will come to you but you have to work at it and that's what a lot of people don't like about it well I have to I have to think I don't want I just want to be entertained you know right right. Well, you know, this is such a wonderful conversation. I, I, you know, with you, what's wonderful is I just never know what's going to happen, and I love it. All those wonderful stories. And now today our connection is a little faulty, so I'm going to wrap up the conversation. But I hope you'll come back again because you got so much to talk about. And this is I'm hanging onto every word over here. And then whenever there's that Swiss cheese hole where there's that silence, I'm like, I want to know what does he say? He says something, and then it's about to happen, and the cliffhanger of a silence. Let's do this again, and uh, let's next. next- and see if we can figure out how to improve the connection. And so, Will, I thank you so much. Uh, you're so wonderful. You're so wonderful. And so let's do this again and uh, more stories the next time. And thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. And thank you for joining me. And thank you for, for you who are watching and listening. And we'll do this again until the next time.